Yeah, we're broadcasting right now. Huh? Pen. Flipping pen. I know. I always got it in my pocket. <clears throat> Oh, okay, good. 
thinking about starting another revelation study and I told him, you know what? I said, Bill, I ain't ever preached. I ain't ever preached a single message about revelation. He's like, surely you preached on Revelation 5. <laughs> I'm like, no, I haven't. That's, that's easy. That's almost like Romans. <laughs> Thank you. have been there before.
looking at it on computers real time when it broadcasts it. I'm still waiting on my other son to pull up. They just pulled up. He's late, 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 late. Hell, Lynn, happy birthday. How old is you now? I don't know. That ain't my mother. 29? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody, I need to let everybody know y'all are all on camera now. So this, we've actually got a camera aimed at, huh? Well, I, yeah, I can't see Buddy. I can't see Buddy over there in the corner. I need my chair. Does everybody have a bulletin? Okay. We welcome you to our services. If you would take your bulletin and turn it to the call to worship. It's to the tune of all things work out for good. Kenny, if you would come direct, please. Let's stand together. Soon as I heard 
seek my grace. My heart replied without delay, I'll seek my Father's face. I'll seek my Father's face. Let not thy face be hid from me, nor frown my soul away. God of my life, I fly to thee in a distressing day, in a distressing day. Should friends and kindred near and dear leave me to want or die, my God would make my life His care and all my needs supply, and all my needs supply. My fainting flesh had died with grief, had not my soul believed. To see thy grace provide relief, nor was my hope deceived, nor was my hope deceived. Wait on the Lord, ye trembling saints, and keep your courage up. He'll raise your spirit when it faints and far exceed your hope and far exceed your hope. If you would take your Bible with me and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 1, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood by on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now notice the disciples' response. The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? 
He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Uh, whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. In seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. May the Lord be pleased to bless the reading of his word this morning, bless us as we sing, as we pray, and as we preach his gospel. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious heavenly Father, Lord God of heaven and earth, we humbly and gratefully bow in your presence in the stillness of this moment thanking you and praising you for your sovereign grace and mercy to the chief of sinners. Lord God, it is beyond our human comprehension to even consider that a God of infinite power and authority would determine to show mercy and grace to those who are totally unworthy of it. We thank you and we praise you, Lord God, that that in the fullness of time, Lord, you sent forth your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem your people out from underneath the guilt, penalty, and condemnation of your law and justice. We praise you and we thank you, Lord God, that on our Lord Jesus Christ's ascension, according to his promise, your Holy Spirit was sent forth to take the things of Christ and reveal them to your people in your appointed time according to your will and pleasure. We thank you, Lord God, for your holy word, wherein you record for us these gracious truths that strengthen us and encourage us in this most holy faith. And we pray as we gather this morning that our, for this short time that we have today, that our hearts and our minds and our understandings would be taken completely off the things of time and sense, and our minds would be drawn out to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners. We pray, Lord God, for those that are on the prayer list that you would continue to comfort and encourage and heal if it be in accordance with thy will. We pray your traveling grace upon all those that have joined us this morning. We pray that you would carry us each safely to our appointed place when we leave here this afternoon. Lord, we pray for this time of worship this morning that we would truly, as we pray, as we sing, and as we preach your gospel, that we would seek to glorify and honor you in every attribute of your character as a just God and a Savior. Be with us now. Use us. We pray that according to your promise where two or three are gathered, that you'll manifest yourself 
in their presence. We pray that through your word and through your gospel preached, heard, and understood, you would be faithful to your promise to manifest yourself to your people in this hour. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Kenny? Page 268, page 268, how firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said to you for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my gracious omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I hope Sherry Tidmore can see. <laughs> Pam's got a dear friend over in Dallas that has been watching us, Fort Worth, actually, isn't it? Duncanville, excuse me, Duncanville, Texas, and uh, she has been watching us on live stream, and she told Pam, she said, I sure would love to be able to see the folks that are out there, and so my son, which your pastor could have never done any of this, my son sat up here and did that voodoo hoodoo last Sunday and set it all up to where now we've got a video that's streaming out, and I'm going to swap it now, and it's going to go, so everybody's on camera right now, <laughs> We welcome you to our service. Let me swap this over now. We'll, we'll, we'll go to just the, to the live stream itself. I had to figure out a way to get a remote where I can 
do that thing that I had to move back for. We do welcome you to our services. Pray the Lord will bless us this morning in our time of worship. It's so good to have the guests that are with us today. I pray the Lord will be pleased to bless his word to our hearts and to our minds and that he will allow us to truly worship him this morning in the beauty of holiness. A couple of announcements before we begin this morning. First of all, we will be having a fellowship meal in the back in honor, honor of Drew, Mara, and Hannah Ward. It'll be getting married in May, so everybody's welcome. I'm sure everybody's going to stay, but that'll be immediately following the services in the back. Also, I wanted to apologize to Isaac Ward for the first time in a long time last week. I forgot somebody's birthday. Pam told me that Isaac told me it was his birthday. I said, it wasn't Isaac's birthday. She said, yes, it was Isaac's birthday. I said, I don't miss things like that. Cammie can tell you I miss everything like that because I had y'all turning your clocks backwards in the bulletin last week. So I do make a few mistakes, and I made one. So happy belated birthday to Isaac this morning. Thirdly, uh, we've been taking up money to send to the Malawi Relief Fund. Uh, We're going to send it up to uh, Brother Allen Ison in Isonville, Kentucky, for it to go into the fund for Brother James and them over in Malawi that are suffering through the uh, the famine that's going on over there. So far, we've taken up $1,860. Uh, so uh, we're going to take up with you. If you haven't given yet and you have a desire to give, make sure and give the money. Mark on your check that you want it to go to the Malawi Relief Fund. And then this week, we'll be mailing a check uh, to, the, to the, that church up in uh, Isonville, Kentucky, for them to send that money over to uh, Brother James, you're to be commended for uh, I, I'm just always overwhelmed uh, by the ability of this little group, as small as we are, to in such a short amount of time be able to give over and above what you give to this church. So we're so thankful uh, for that. Also, there's uh, I added Sherry Tidmore back to the prayer list. Uh, she fell this week and uh, hurt her legs, her knees. And so as the Lord directs, you remember Sherry Tidmore in prayer as well. Anything else? Any other updates? Okay.
Okay. Oh boy, that is. Yes, back. Let me get my mind straight. Cause my <laughs> mind's that blew my mind there. Well, I can't believe I did that. <sighs> I don't think we're gonna use this new technology anymore, Matt. There's too many things for this old man to try to remember. Take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. I told Kenny this morning. Uh, the last time I preached from Ephesians, which I cannot believe, I, I think I've taught through it, but there's none of it out on sermon audio. The last time I preached from Ephesians was like, I actually found some recordings at the house was back in 2006, 17 years ago. And I got these verses in my head. Actually, last Sunday afternoon when we got done, I was at the house and I sat down and wrote the introduction to this message last Actually, last Sunday afternoon and last Monday morning, this, this Monday morning. I've entitled this message, The Gospel of Your Salvation. The Gospel of Your Salvation. I was sitting up here this morning before we began, and I wrote down this passage because it just popped into my head. And I, I try to keep up with everything that comes and goes in my own head. But Paul wrote to those at Corinth. He said, For though I preach the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe, judgment be unto me. Now listen, this is the Apostle Paul. Judgment be on me if I preach not the gospel. This October will be 36 years that the Lord has allowed me to preach the gospel. And I'm grateful for it. For many years before that, I was involved in religion. I was moral. I was sincere. I was dedicated. I was committed. I was actually a deacon. And I was actually a quote-unquote, supposedly in my own mind, a gospel preacher. Pastoring a little group about, what, 13 miles north of here. Thought I was preaching the gospel. Till I heard a message by a dear brother in Christ that is now going to be with our Lord on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, entitled, Do You Really Want to Know the Gospel? And when I read that title, I told somebody this week, I had a man find us from over in Texas, and he and I talked on the phone a couple of times, and I told him, I said, What was so ironic when I read that title on that cassette tape? I actually laughed to myself because I was sitting in a Southern Baptist church sitting in an office that I was provided, had been there and was loved by the people. I think I was loved, wasn't I, Sally, buddy? I mean, I think they liked me. Maybe they did, and I think they did. And all of a sudden, my life changed totally and completely. And that's where this message is born from. Because I, I've always said this, I stole it from somebody else because truly there's nothing new under the sun. Everybody thinks they're saved before they're saved until they're saved. Now that's just the truth of it. And see, here's the thing. It makes no difference what I thought about myself yesterday or two weeks ago or two, 10 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. All that matters is this. How does God Almighty 
the sovereign God of the universe, the God who will by no means clear the guilty, who will not overlook the least of sin and the best of men, how does that God view you? How does that God view me right now? Because that's all that matters. And I, that's the most essential question that any sinner can face while in this present world. You think about it. Every person in every form of religion of what's considered Christianity, they think. Now, they think they preach, and they think they believe the gospel. But ask yourself this question. Is that, is that the reality of it? Is that really true? Does everybody that talks about the gospel and claims they believe the gospel and claims they preach the gospel and claim they support the gospel, is it really the gospel? People say, ah, gospel's gospel. Really? Is that what you believe? I did, Paul made it clear, you know what, there's another gospel. Did you know that? I never knew that. Nobody ever told me there's another gospel. There's, people say, no, 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 there's one gospel. Oh, no, 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 there's another. The scriptures tell us so. Listen to this. And it's not a gospel. Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Listen to this. Unto another gospel. Then he goes on, but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which was preached unto you. So he preached one. He said, if anybody preaches another gospel than the one that's preached unto you, let him be a curse. Let him be anathema maranatha. That's what that word means. Let him be cut off to divine destruction. As we've said before, so say I now again to you, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that you have received, let him be accursed. But Paul wasn't done. He wrote to those at Corinth, and he said, For if he that cometh preacheth, listen to this, another Jesus. Everybody said, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. Well, my question to you is this, which one? If there's another one, there's more than the one everybody talks about. Preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached. Paul preached to Jesus and he said, there's somebody preaching another Jesus. Or if you receive, listen to this, there's another spirit which you've not received. Or here we go. Or another gospel which you have not accepted. And these words always cause me a lot of trouble. You might well bear with him. In other words, well... Pastor, what he's really saying is this, is if somebody's preaching something that's a little off, you just need to kind of put up with it. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. Listen to Young's little translation this verse. For if indeed he who is coming doth preach another Jesus whom we did not preach, or another spirit you receive which you did not receive, or other good news, which that's what the gospel means. It means glad tidings of good things. Or other good news which you did not accept. Here's an actual translation. Well, you, were you bearing? You say, well, that, that doesn't clear it up. Well, let me, let me clear, try to clear it up for you. That last phrase, you might well bear with him in the King James Version of the Bible. It's actually the same word repeated twice with a little paraphrase in between, which it means it's just one word. It's one word. And that phrase actually means you held up excellently. 
So if somebody, what, 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 did, what, did, what does that mean to you and me? In other words, when this person came in, whoever they were, how noble they might have been, how held in such high respect by these people, if he came in, she came in, preached another gospel, another Jesus, he says, you know what true believers did? They did exactly what justified saints do. They gave no place to that heresy. They, didn't, they, they handled it excellently, Kenny. They stood steadfast in the gospel. Now listen to me. If there's indeed another Jesus and there's another gospel, and the scriptures tell us there's, two, there's both, how can we know we believed the correct gospel? And how can we know that we're resting in the correct Jesus? See, everybody, I got friends and family just like you do. You say, you don't understand. I do understand. I've got friends and families all over that have accepted Jesus. And they're good folks. I don't question that good in the sense the way we look at men and women. But listen, do you not understand that? Good enough before me, good enough before mama, good enough before mama or grandma or some old dead preacher or some living preacher somewhere. That ain't good enough. It always comes back down to this. How righteous, how holy does a sinner have to be to go to heaven? That's the question you need to be answering. All right, I rephrase that. That's the question God Almighty's got to answer for you. Are you resting in a righteousness or a holiness or a morality or a church attendance of your own creation? Are you resting in a righteousness you had no part in producing? One produced for you through God-man, the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the surety and Savior of sinners, resting in a righteousness that is not in you in and of yourself, but rests and resides in the person of our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in glory right now. That's the only thing that matters. This morning I want us to carefully and thoughtfully ponder this statement. I, I want to read it because I want to get it right. The gospel you profess to be saved by reveals the doctrine you believe. Believe that? The gospel you profess to believe reveals the doctrine you profess to believe. I posted an old article that I wrote this week where I'd watched a TV news broadcast. And in that TV news broadcast, a, a lost broadcaster that did not know God. He was making a comment on religion and he said, tragically, only 10% of people in organized religion across the planet know the doctrine their church preaches and teaches. Do you know what your church preaches? I, I, I dare say everybody that, that a, a part of Grace Baptist in Ruston, you know what our doctrine is. So the gospel you profess that is the gospel of your salvation reveals the doctrine you believe. But hold on. The doctrine you believe, the doctrine means teaching, instruction. The instruction you believe reveals the God you are trusting in for your salvation. 
Can we agree on those two things? We can't agree on anything else I've said to this point. Can you agree on that? Well, I tell you what. I can show you that from the scriptures. Listen to this. Don't, don't turn there. Write it down. Go read it for yourself. Like I've told you, I've told everybody all the way back to when we started this work back in 1987. Don't you ever follow and swallow anything just because I said it or any other man said it. You try the Spirit. You test it. You put it under the scrutiny of the Word of God. If it's so, believe it. Bow to it. If not, turn from it. Here's what I just told you in the Scripture. Paul said to those at Rome, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, but God be thanked. Who's he thanking? God. I thank God that you were, now listen to the language, you were previously servants of sin. But you have, listen, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine Literally, it's which was delivered unto you. It really means which was which delivered you. That doctrine that delivered you. Being then made free. When? When you believe that doctrine. Being then made free from sin. Only then. When you believe that doctrine, what? You became, here's the transition before, what were you? Servants of sin. Who was a servant of sin? Here's one. Saul of Tarsus. What was Saul of Tarsus? Oh, he was a homosexual murderer is what he was. No, he wasn't. What was he? Huh? He was a moral, sincere, dedicated law keeper who thought, who did he think he was serving? Think. Who did he think he was serving? He called him Jehovah. In reality, who was he serving? Satan, the prince of darkness. Huh. Oh, no, Brother Richard. Oh, yes. That's exactly what he was doing. I, can, can, can you envision that? Spend all your life going to church, doing everything that everybody's told you you ought to do to, to get right, to keep from getting left, and then to hear those awful, tragic words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Go look at the context of that. Who was he talking to? Father, what, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? It ain't them that everybody calls sinners that we can so easily point an old straight self-righteous finger at. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the ones that were doing their dead-level best to avoid every known sin and doing their dead-level best to do every possible good. And at the judgment, what are they still claiming? This is why I get to go to heaven. I tell you, since that's the case, the question is simply this. Simply this. And, and this just puzzles me in my generation. Can the gospel be defined? Can we? Or better that, should we define it? Why make such a distinction 
What's so important about it? Well, I tell you, the answer from God and the Holy Spirit is what? The gospel must be defined. It must be defined. And here's the thing. I'm absolutely certain that God the Holy Spirit will only bless one message. Which one? The gospel. Whatever, however the scriptures define the gospel, he's told us this is the message that must be preached. I find it interesting, the Holy Spirit who's called a spirit of truth three times by our Lord in John chapter 13 through chapter 6, he calls him the spirit of truth, not error. He does not use error. He doesn't get you saved in one way and then somehow later bring you to a knowledge of the truth. We're going to see that this morning. He uses this word, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He uses the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. How do we know? Listen to you. Paul wrote to those at Corinth. And he told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us... Who are saved. What is the gospel? It's the power of God. It's the dynamite of God. To bring us out of the darkness. That we exist in. By virtue of our oneness. With our representative man. Adam. Now knowing that God always uses the gospel. That's glad tidings of good news. To call his elect to true faith. And true repentance. I want you to look at our text this morning. Here in Ephesians chapter 1. And notice how the apostle defines this specific message. Look at verse 13. We read verse, verse, starting verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Not trying to obtain it. What have we done? We have obtained an inheritance. There's a difference. I'm not hanging a carrot in front of you and putting you on a treadmill and telling you, go after the carrot. I'm telling you, somebody, Christ, by his person, by his work, by his obedience unto death, he's obtained an inheritance. Hebrews tells us it's an eternal inheritance. Being, no, oh, here, boy, look at this language now. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. How does he work all things? After the counsel. Well, what about my will? Well, your will has got a big obstacle in front of it. His will. He does everything according to the counsel of his own. Yours does not override his. <laughs> it doesn't. That, look, here we go. That we should be to the praise of the glory of his grace who first trusted in Christ and whom you also trusted is in italic so it was not in the original and whom you also after that you heard the word of truth. Here's, here's where I got the title of this message from. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom you also trusted after that you believed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now look up here and listen to me. 
Because I know people say, you're going to use words on us like predestinated? It's in the book. Huh? Not saying nothing more, nothing less than what's written down in this book. And when God the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to write this Ephesian letter, who was he writing to? He was writing to Gentiles who had been pagan idolaters, and he wasn't writing to them now a thesis that can only be understood and appreciated and accepted and believed in by theologians. I tell you what, when you think about it, most preachers in my day, most men and women in my day, they either deny or despise or ignore this very truth, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. I tell you what, I used to, but I got rid of all of them years ago. But I used to have, um, I had almost $4,000 worth of books on my shelf at the house. Spent us into poverty buying books. And before I got rid of them, one of the things I noticed, when it came to controversial passages like these that we're going to look at this morning, they didn't have nothing to say. Because you can't tell somebody about something that you don't know. One that they really avoid, you go read all their commentaries, they'll write books, I mean volumes of material on Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 7. But when they get to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, where it uses the same language Paul uses in this text, they write like one sentence. Because it goes contrary to everything else that they've ever said, hoped, or believed in. If you go and read all of Paul's epistles, I challenge you. Go read all of Peter's epistles. Go read James' epistles. Read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Read all. Every one of them present the same essential gospel truth. What do they present? That God is absolutely sovereign in this matter of salvation. Even when Paul wrote to that young preacher, Timothy, and it, I, I told Pam, she read, this, she read this sermon before I preached. Don't blame her for it being long. It's me. <laughs> she read this sermon. Here, here's the whole gospel in two, two verses. This young preacher, telling a young preacher, this is what you preach, Timothy. I, it, wouldn't, wouldn't that be important if, if the apostle Paul writes you and says, Peter, this is what you need to preach. I'd say, that's what I need to preach, right? Listen to it. Who hath saved us. Who did the saving? God did. Who hath saved us. And called us. That word means summons. It also means to give a name to. To bestow a name on. It's like when I married. Well, it don't happen a lot of people. I guess y'all, you're going to probably change your name to Mara. But my, my wife was a McCormick. When she married me, what did she take? She is no longer Pam McCormick. She's Pam McCormick who? Warmack. She's taken my name. What is God? He's, he's named us. He's given us his name. What's his name? What's my name? Jehovah sit canoe the Lord our righteousness. That's the name he's given to me. He's given me a righteousness that I, can't, I do not deserve. 
I cannot merit. I cannot maintain. One that's just freely bestowed, given to me. And that's what he's telling this young man to preach. He saved us and called us with what? A holy calling. Listen to this. And this is where this religious world runs aground. Not according to our works. You hear that? Not according to our work, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, but is now made manifest. It's revealed. How is this revealed? By the appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death. Huh? Abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, I want to show you. I'm going to try to be, try to be brief, okay? I'm going to give it to you. If Ray Johnson's watching this, he said, that's one of them introductions that Richard gives. I can't help it. In these first 14 verses of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul clearly and systematically sets forth the gospel that must be preached and must be heard by every elect sinner. And folks, it's a threefold message. It's a threefold message and that declares the work of all three persons of the Godhead in this matter of salvation. And it's preached to sinners who cannot do anything, cannot do anything to gain or maintain salvation. And the first one he mentions is this. Look at verse 3 through verse 6. The first work he brings forth is the work of God the Father. I'll just read it to you. I don't have to give you a bunch of explanations. Listen to it. And you tell me if your preacher's ever told you this. We're ever honest with you about it. Blessed, a guy pointed out to me this week, When it says blessed, what does that mean? Huh? You want a definition of blessed? This is an Old Testament definition of blessed. What it means to be blessed. Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is he whose iniquities are covered. Blessed is he to whom the Lord will not impute sin. What is that? That's the definition of a saved man or a woman right there. That's what it is to be blessed. What does it mean? Eternally blessed. And you can only be eternally blessed if God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did the work. That's what he's saying here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the language. Who hath blessed us. You see, past tense. Not not he's going to bless me. He's blessed me. What's he blessed me with? Blessed me with all spiritual blessings. How many of them? All of them. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Regeneration and conversion. Keeping, sealing. But here's the kicker. Where's all those blessings at? Not in church attendance, in Christ. You see that? Bless me with all these spiritual blood and heavenly play in Christ. According, here's some, listen to the line, according as he hath chosen us. In him. Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy. 
and without blame before him. And if you look at the original language, the, the punctuation goes there. It actually would have a period there. Holy and without blame before him, period. In love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And this is something they don't tell you according to the good pleasure of his own will. It's all about us, isn't it? All about man. What about me? According to the good pleasure of his own will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the bluff. You say, well, hold on that, Pastor. Those words are too deep for me. Again, who'd he write to? These aren't theological students. These aren't men and women with master's degrees and doctor's degrees in divinity. They are sinners saved by God's grace just like you and me. And he didn't say, yeah, you know, I need to be careful here what I say to these folks because they might not understand what I'm going to say. Well, hold on. Isaiah says this. They shall teach no more and every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And why do they know him? Here's why. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sins no more. That's the God I want to know. That's forgiven me my sins. And will not remember my inequities. All of them. Our Lord actually referenced this verse in Jeremiah. He said it is written in the prophets. Where? Jeremiah. What's written in the prophet? They shall be all taught of God. Not taught of man. I can teach you some things. I can't make it stick. I wish I could. If I thought that I could get in your face and talk you to, into salvation, I'd do it. But I can't. I can persuade, but I can, I'm like Paul when he stood before uh, Felix, remember he preached, reasoned with Felix of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And old Felix trembled. Remember he trembled over him and his wife. They trembled over what they heard. And he looked at Paul and he said, Paul, thou almost persuaded me. And that's all I can do. I can almost persuade you. But when you're taught of God, you're persuaded. And I'll tell you what, no man or woman or mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or friend or foe can undo what God persuades. It's a big deal of difference. I, I want to state the work of God the Father. I'll, ju I'll just give it to you in one sentence. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father, according to his own sovereign will and purpose, chose a multitude of sinners before they had done any good or any evil, this is from Romans chapter 9, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that nameth, him that calleth. He chose that multitude of sinners out of a fallen race in Adam and gave them to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, their surety, their substitute, their mediator, their redeemer, their savior. That's the work of God the Father. He chose. Absolute first cause of everything that happens on this planet. The purpose of God the Father. Brings us to the second one. 
Look at verse 7 through 11. This is the work of God the Son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. See that? He's not done something so you can get forgiven. We have obtained in Christ what? The forgiveness of sin. How? What what did it take? Through his blood. Not my works. Not by works of righteousness I've done. Huh? Through his blood. That's the only thing that can put away sin. The blood. Wherein he hath abounded toward us. And here, what's he abounded to us in? Read it for yourself. All wisdom and prudence. Notice this. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. That's why I read to you Matthew chapter 13. Remember the apostles? Why, Lord, do you speak in parables to them? What did our Lord say? It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them what? It's not given. Ah, that's not fair. Take it up with God. Because he's working all things after the counsel of his own will. You can rail against it and hate it all you want. It, it, again, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and in earth, which are on the earth, even in him, in whom also in this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. Before there was ever a sinner, oh, there stood a Savior. That's why God didn't obliterate this thing when Adam fell. There was a purpose behind it all. Before there ever was a sinner, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to God's free grace and mercy, he stood, what, as our Savior. Our Redeemer. Do you understand what a surety is? Anybody ever told you what a surety is? Is a surety even in the Scripture? Is that important? Do you need to know about a surety? You better know because Christ has made the surety of a better covenant founded on better promises and better sacrifices. Uh-huh. Importance. Hey, y'all got, you got too much to say about... I, I can't say enough about this person. I can't, I can't describe him enough to you. See, before Adam, before, before Adam ever fell in that garden, the Lord Jesus Christ stood as our representative and what fell on him? That broken law, that curse that I deserve fell on him. Totally and completely. Why? The only person who could deliver you and me from the law of sin and death was who? The one who's truly God and truly man, one able and willing to magnify the law and make it honorable. And he did all that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, new creature. You're in Christ, new creature. We read a moment ago, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. Where? In Christ. 
Old things are passed away. What? Judgment, condemnation, alienation, separation. All passed away in Christ. All things have become new. What? I'm justified, sanctified, in the person of Christ, glorified. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus. He hath reconciled. That's the language of the scriptures. How did he reconcile us to himself? By Jesus Christ, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that is to say that God was in Christ, listen, reconciling the world to himself. Not attempting, reconciling. How does he reconcile them? Not imputing their trespasses to them. Folks, somebody out there is not going to have that word imputed. That's, that's a scriptural verse, scriptural word, imputed. Somebody is not going to have sin charged to them. Have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we as ambassadors, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. How? On what basis? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. See, those sins, it's not imputed. Where are they imputed? Where are they charged? They're charged to the scapegoat, which typified and pictured our Lord Jesus Christ. He made him sin who knew no sin, who was that holy thing. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I tell you, I'm pretty certain Nobody ever declared anything like that to my hearing in any church at any time from my childhood until I was in my middle 20s back out there at that old church sitting in that office that night when that guy told me that I was trying to find somebody. We, were having, we always had, we had revivals all the time. I think it was because I was trying to not have to write sermons. We'd keep having revivals all the time. We would have somebody else in. And the guy I surrendered to the ministry under by the grace of God, my desk drawer was open about that wide, and there was a cassette tape that I had stolen from my old preacher over in Shreveport. And it was sitting in that desk drawer on the top. And Mr. Rawson looked down in that desk drawer, and he spotted that tape, and he said, you know, this guy, I've heard of him. I've never listened to him, and I know we had never listened to him because later on things proved to be quite contrary to what I'd heard from him and what I'd surrendered to the ministry under him. But he said, get in touch with him. And I pulled the tape out for the first time and looked at it, like I told you at the beginning, and it was... What I'm telling you this morning, do you really want to know the gospel? And it was on this passage that I just quoted to you from 2 Corinthians. Nobody ever told me. And this, they didn't. Until God sent a preacher. God sent his preacher to me through that tape. And he preached to me a redeemer that actually redeemed didn't offer me redemption. He told me the work is finished. He preached to me a Savior that's exactly like what they named our Savior. What you going to call His name? Thou shalt call His name Jesus. Not call on the Lord Jesus, the name Jesus. You'll call His name Jesus. You say, well, that, that's all we need. Now, do you know what it means? Do you know what Jesus means? Jehovah our Savior. That's who, that's why... He's not trying to save. He's saved. 
He preached to me a God who justifies the ungodly. And for the, you know, for the first time ever in my life when I listened to that message, I saw myself as ungodly. As a preacher. And I thought, in that moment, I saw, I was like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man. My stars, you preach. I was an unclean, I was a leper. Why? I saw I didn't have this righteousness. I was without hope. Brings us to the third one. God the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12 through 14. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ and whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom you also, after that you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest. That word earnest is like, means a down payment. Of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of of his glory. Now while it's true that all God's elect will and must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all have. Our faith is not the cause of our salvation. It's not the cause of these great spiritual blessings and our predestination. God didn't look down through time and see me doing one thing. And then based on what he saw me doing. That's how he. That's, that's a God that, that's not. Infinite in knowledge. It's all knowing. He doesn't have to gain knowledge. He purposed it. All of it. But here's the thing. There, our faith, what is it? It's the fruit and the effect of what God the Father chose and what Christ the Son redeemed. And it's the, the, the fruit and the effect of the sealing work of God the Holy Spirit. So what's the work of God the Holy Spirit? God the Holy Spirit in time. In each successive generation, through the preaching of the gospel, he regenerates, he converts, and he seals every one of those God the Father chose, that Christ the Son redeemed at Calvary, every single solitary one of them. And listen to me, the Holy Spirit's work is as essential to the elect salvation as the work of God the Father and God the Son. Remember what he told Nicodemus? You must be born again twice. And he told him at the end of that, you must be born again twice. He told him this concerning the spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or where it goes. Neither so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's a miracle of God's grace. And I'll tell you something else. Christ stressed the necessity of the work of the Spirit in regeneration conversion to his apostles. Listen to you. Let me read you these verses and we'll quit. And I pray the Father. This is our Lord. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. That you, he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Huh? Gonna give us the spirit of truth. I know Romans says that if any man has not the spirit of God, none of he is. Whom the world cannot receive. Man by nature cannot receive this spirit, 
because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but I know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He said again, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. What's he going to bring? Whatsoever I've said to you. Then come up with his own work. He talks about what Christ spoke. And then once more, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will prove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because you believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, and I'm thankful for this, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Folks, that's the gospel of your salvation. Pure and simple. That's the word of truth. It's not mean-spirited, and I hope I don't come across as snide. I, I truly have a genuine concern for men and women's souls. I have for 37 years almost. And I, that's what's got to be preached out. It, listen, if it's not to be preached out, why did he write it in Ephesians chapter 1? Why did he write it in Romans chapter 8, 9, and 10? Why did he write that to tell that young man, Timothy? If that's not what we're supposed to preach, why write it down? If it's too complicated, if it's of no value, why put it in the book? Why write it down for our nurture and for our admonition? And I tell you what, this truth alone, this gives glory to God. Because what? It's his word. It's his salvation. And it directs men and women's minds to Christ's blood. And his righteousness alone is their only hope and cause of salvation. And I'll say this, and I promise I'm shutting up now. To deny this, or to dismiss this, or to despise these glorious truths clearly set forth in God's word shows a sinner at this particular time to be unregenerate ignorant of the righteousness and hope that's found in Christ Jesus, and still in your mind right now, you know what you are? You're an enemy by wicked works. What's the wicked work? Going about to establish a righteousness. Trying your dead-level best to get to heaven based on what you've done. Unable to see, unable to rest, hope in Christ and his righteousness and God's grace and mercy alone is your only hope and cause of salvation. Seeing that you don't have and you hadn't been given the gift of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. What's not of yourself? Faith. If you're an English major, look it up for yourself. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus. Already created. Any hand in Christ, new creature. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Listen, which God hath before of old ordained 
it will perform. I pray the Lord will bless that to your heart, mind, and understanding. Let's stand together, and we'll be dismissed. Kenny, if you would, lead us in a prayer to close us and for the food in the back, please. Father in heaven, Almighty God, Lord, Thank you.